the preacher of the gospel is speaking on behalf of Christ so when you're gossiping you're not speaking on behalf of Christ when you're talking and bragging about yourself you're not speaking on behalf of Christ but when you preach the gospel you are speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ the things pertaining to him the things that are of him in his finished works and the attendant benefits and implications of that redemptive work that's all anything we preach contradicts that it is false we are sent to humans male and female of any and every race under heaven you don't preach to angels you preach to humans you don't preach to demons you preach to humans men women boys girls those are the people we're sent to regardless of their class in society where are we sent every place where humans inhabit that's what it means by going to all the world if there are people there then we've got to go there if there are any new continents that the scientists discover and humans are on that continent then we got to go the entrance of god's word gives light and understanding welcome to a season of blessing and transformation as God's Word comes to you through the ministry of our senior pastor, Reverend Peter Ayo Alabi. Stay blessed. Glory to God. Turn your Bibles to Romans, the first chapter and the 16th verse. Somebody say, I love the Word. I love the Word. Amen. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So notice, the gospel is not just the power of God unto salvation, it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. To those who believe. Now, there's something powerful Reinhard Bonke said, of very blessed memory. The gospel really is not the gospel until it is declared. The gospel really is not the gospel until it is declared. In other words, if it is not preached, you cannot really call it the gospel. It has to be preached. Of what good is a good news when it is not told? Of what use is a good news if it is not told? So the gospel really is not the gospel until it is declared. And that's why all through this month we've been looking on Sundays at the subject Caruso. Now the word Caruso is both used as a verb and as a noun. As a verb, caruso means to arouse, to announce, and as a noun, it refers to the person who is announcing it, a public crier. Can you see that? The word caruso as a noun means a public crier. You know what you would know uh, traditionally in this part of the world as a town crier. A town cry. You know when the person is a town cry those days of, uh, uh, you know, in the villages and perhaps maybe they still do that in villages now. All right. The town cry goes to the city square and begins to, you know, uh, bang on a gong and then he begins to shout loud because what the king wants people to hear is going to be heard through the voice of that town crier. So he's going to be shouting loud that he has a message from the king. And so that's the idea of 
the word Keruso, somebody who is a public crier. So he goes out to speak, not just for speaking sake, but to communicate a message from the king. Can you see now? To communicate a message from the king. And so you understand, therefore, that town crier is sent by the king. What we mean when we say we are Keruso is that we have been sent by the Lord to herald the message. Did you see that? That God has something to say to the world and he wants to say it to them by us. He wants to tell them by us. Hallelujah. So you see, we are sent by God to herald a message. Somebody say, I'm sent by God to herald a message. Say like you really say, I am sent by God to herald a message. And I will go. Don't talk like your voice is just say, I will go. Many are not going, they are only sitting. You see, you are not saved to just sit. You are saved to go out. Who had saved us and called us, 2 Timothy 1 9, with an holy calling. So we are not only saved, we are also called. Called to do something. Called to carry out an assignment. And that assignment is what we're talking about. That assignment is to be public criers. That is to be those who herald the message. In other words, we are heralds of the message of Christ. And so, you know, you know, we, we started this about two weeks ago now. Mom has been teaching. We are sent ones. And who sent us? The Lord Jesus has sent us. The Lord Jesus has sent us and he sent us to preach. He didn't just send us to roam the earth. He sent us to preach. Go into all the world, Mark 16, 15, and preach the gospel to every creature. And preach the gospel to every creature. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Be ye reconciled unto God. So notice, he said, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. So notice there, God beseech you by us. In other words, God wants to tell you something but he's going to tell it to you by us somebody say by me come on talk like your voice is just say by me by me so did you see that then he goes on to say we pray you in christ's stead in other words if jesus was here physically what he will be telling men is for them to be saved are you hearing me now so he says we pray you in christ's stead in other words the preacher of the gospel is speaking on behalf of christ so when you're gossiping, you're not speaking on behalf of Christ. When you're talking and bragging about yourself, you're not speaking on behalf of Christ. But when you preach the gospel, you are speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ. We pray you in Christ there. We pray you in Christ there. Be ye reconciled to God. In Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20. Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20. He says, Go ye therefore, and this is the Lord Jesus speaking again, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. 
And he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. It's amazing that that phrase, the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Ghost, people use it for what Jesus did not even mention it for. Jesus mentions it in the commandment to go and preach. So the people use it to name a child, use it to dedicate a car, use it to open an office, use it to even dedicate a government project over which they've defrauded the people. But notice where Jesus uses the phrase, let's go back there, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And what Jesus is saying really is not to, to declare in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost over somebody who is about to receive Christ. No. What he's simply saying is that, you see, salvation has come to being by virtue of the expressions of God in these three dimensions. Are you hear what I'm saying now? There is nowhere, the Bible tells us that when you wake up, you'll pray in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, late Bishop, uh, Archbishop Bench, the other said, that sign simply means there's trouble here, trouble here, and everywhere. If you notice, like I said again, what Jesus is saying is this, the implication of salvation is that the Father, did you see, sent his son, did you see, to die, and the Holy Ghost, by the power of the Holy Ghost, was raised back to life. In other words, that all the three expressions of God are involved in salvation. As a matter of fact, salvation necessitated those three expressions. Are you getting this now? Because a lot of times, a lot of people are just religiously brainwashed instead of being New Testament taught. Just brainwashed, doing things, they don't know why they do it. And that's why you see, you are not going to get answers to prayer just because you said, I declare, let it be so in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Bible never told us to pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We are asked to pray in the name of Jesus. Are you hearing what I am saying? John chapter 14, and we're reading from the 14th verse. If ye shall ask anything in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Is that what it reads in your own Bible? Let me check your neighbor out. See, is that what it says in your Bible? Let's know who has real Bibles here. Come on, so what does it say? Let's read together. Won't you read everybody? If he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Is that simple enough? Go to the next chapter. That's chapter 15. Chapter 15. Glory to Jesus. And we're going to read from verse 7. John chapter 15 and verse 7. If you're there, say, I have it. Want to go, everybody? And ye shall ask what ye will. And it shall what? All right, now skip to verse 16. So notice now, he has said, whatever you will. Of course, you know that statement is very well qualified. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will. Why? Because you abiding in me and my word abiding in you would have aligned your will to my will. 
So he's not saying anything you ask, even crazy, stupid things, unholy things. No. He's saying what you will on the condition that your will has already been influenced by his presence in you and his word in you. And so what he will tell us now further how to ask, in what name to ask. So verse 16, if you have it, say I have it. Let's read together once to go. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, so in what name? In my name. He may do what? So in whose name do we ask? Come on, talk to me. In whose name do we ask? In whose name do we pray? Now, go to Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Now, this is Apostle Peter speaking, and he says, Neither is there salvation in any other. Did you see this? For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Did you see this? And of course, he's making reference to the name of Jesus. Because they queried them that how did you do this miracle over the man at the gate called Beautiful? And, you know, if you read the previous chapter, if I let in the same chapter 4, go to verse 10, Peter said, Be known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, does this man stand here before you whole? Notice that by that name, by the name of Jesus. So go to chapter 3 because you will see where that miracle really happened. That he truly, you know, used the name of Jesus to heal that guy. So in chapter 3, the Bible tells us in verse 4, And Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John said, said, Look on us. And he gave it unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Verse 6, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, rise up and walk. Is that what he said? What did he say? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, did it work or not? Come on, talk to me. Did it work or not? Let's go see verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Did you see that? Received strength. Now go also to verse 12. Hallelujah. Sorry, verse 16. I beg your pardon. And Peter says, and his name... Did you see that? Talking about the name of Jesus. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. Whom ye see and know, can you see that? Yea, the faith which is by him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. The name of Jesus healed that guy. He gave him perfect soundness. So the name doesn't heal you partially. It heals you perfectly. Are you hearing me, somebody? But notice the simplicity of the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. So back there in Matthew 28, when he says, baptizing them in the name 
of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He's not asking us to be reciting that whenever we're preaching the gospel of Jesus. He's simply saying this is the implication. Did you see that? That this work of redemption is what necessitated the expression of God as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Say, I hear somebody. And so notice when he commanded to go out, the apostles led us in showing the example of obedience to that instruction. Mark 16, 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere. In verse 15, he told them to go and preach. In verse 20, the Bible says, and they went forth. So when he says, go, you've got to go. You don't got to went, you got to go. <laughs> when you go there, they say you went. So he said, go, and they went and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the world with signs following. And he says, amen. Did you see that? So it means you must be found doing what he said to do. You see, many Christians, they are going everywhere, pursuing and, and, and chasing their own dreams, trying to fulfill their own agenda. That's not what the, the, the disciples did. They went everywhere preaching. Preaching. See, whatever God commands us to do must be a priority in life. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Whatever God commands us to do must be a priority in life. If he says to go preach, then preaching must be a priority. Preaching must be a priority. And preaching the gospel is not just for the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And mom did a good job last week talking about that. That this is an instruction given to ordinary people. Can you see this? It's not just for the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor and teacher. This instruction is for all saints. It's for all saints. We all are commanded to go. We all are commanded to go. You know, some mischievous fellow said, but Jesus was only talking to his disciples. So which of them preached to you? Was it Peter or John or James or Bartholomew or Matthias or Andrew? That instruction implicates every man in Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? It implicates every man in Christ. That once you get born again, you have an assignment to preach. I'm going to show you, we're going to get there. When Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9 had an encounter with God, God saved. The first thing he began to do was to pray. Then right after that, the Bible tells us when Ananias laid hands on him, God baptized him with the Holy Ghost. Immediately began to preach Christ. Immediately began to preach Christ. So when you get saved, salvation has implicated you in this instruction. Tell your neighbor, say you are implicated. Are you afraid of your neighbor? Look at them, say, neighbor, you are implicated. So that was means salvation has implications of responsibility to preach Christ. Salvation comes with an implication of responsibility to preach Jesus Christ. So they went everywhere and preached. So, who did he send us to? He says to go and preach to every creature. But I want to look at it first in Matthew 28, 19. Because it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And I will explain that. But what is the nations it's referring to? The word nations here is from the Greek word ethnos. 
ethnos, E-T-H-N-O-S, is from a Greek word ethnos. And ethnos refers to a race, a race or a tribe, specifically in the context of the Jews, referring to non-Jewish nations non-Jewish nations and you're going to understand why Jesus used that phraseology in talking to his disciples in Matthew 28 because all his disciples were Jews do you see that so it's like me talking to Nigerians and saying go and reach out to foreigners so what that would mean is that before this time all the covenants of God and the oracles of God were committed to the Jews only. Paul said that in Romans 10. Did you see that? But now by virtue of the death, the burial and resurrection of Christ, God is now extending his offer for a relationship to the rest of the world. Are you getting this now? And that's why, you know, if you read in Exodus 19, go to Exodus 19 and let's get a good background of this from the Old Testament. In Exodus 19, verse 5, we're starting from 5, it Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Can you see this? And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Nigeria. Read, it's in the Bible. Is that what he said? Unto Americans? To the British? No. To who? The children of where? Israel. Did you see this? But notice I've explained this scripture over, over and over again. God wasn't trying to just say, I'm only going to relate with Israel. God was simply saying, I'm going to start from them. Or start with them. Can you see now? And this is the reason why when Jesus came to the earth, the ministry of Jesus in the earth, in those three and a half years, was limited to Jews. Was limited to the Jews. Because Jesus came under the law. Can you see this? Galatians chapter 4 tells us that. Run quickly, go there. You've got to get used to it. Church is not a place where the word is just mentioned. It's a place where the word is looked into. So you've got to open the Bible a whole lot. So many churches in this generation, they don't even open the Bible at all. Hallelujah. So when you come to a good church, you've got to open your Bible a lot. Failure to open your Bible makes you ignorant. So Galatians chapter 4. And we're going to read the third verse and the fourth verse. Even so, we when we were children were in bondage under the elements of the world, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman. Then read the last two, three words. Once you go, everybody. Come on, talk to me. Speak louder. Made under the what? Under the law. And that's talking about Jesus. And so because he, he, was, he was born under the law, he had to abide by that law. And the dictates of the law was he was restricted to Jews only. You remember that story, the Syrophoenician woman who came and said, my daughter is vexed with a demon or a, 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 an evil spirit, and she wanted healing. Now, the, when the Bible says she was in some tradition, says, not translation, one of the gospels says Syrophoenician. But she was actually, another one says a Canaanite woman. 
In other words, she was not a Jew. And Jesus responded to her and said to her, It is not right for me to give the children's bread to dogs. In other words, the word dogs actually is a figurative expression of saying somebody is an outcast. In other words, he was simply saying, right now, at this phase of my ministry, under this dispensation, I am not sent to people like you. Not because I don't love you, but the law restricts me, forbids me. And that's why when Jesus died, he, by his own flesh, in his body being sacrificed, Jesus pulled down that barrier. Somebody hear what I'm saying now? And you better thank God he did because otherwise you will not be hearing this message this morning. Otherwise you will still be alienated from the commonwealth of Zion, alienated from the life of God, and be without hope in the world. But glory to God, Jesus by his death on the cross, by his body on the cross, he pulled down that wall of partition. And opened a, a new and living way for us. And so today, even though we're not Jews by birth, we are now sons of God. Somebody say, I'm glad to be a child of God. Can you shout amen, somebody? Ephesians 2 and verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Can you see that? For to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Did you see that? Glory to Jesus. So from verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles. Did you see that? Gentiles in the flesh who are called on circumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh do you see that made by hands now let me tell you before god and before the finished works of christ that is his death burial resurrection from the dead there were just two kinds of people on the earth jews and non-jews now now notice i said jews and non-Jews, not Jews and Coca-Cola, Jews. Not you know we're talking we're not talking about drinks now. Because some some people some people when they hear the word their mind is somewhere else. So Jews, Jews, not Jewish. <laughs> Glory to God. All right, there were Jews and non-Jews, otherwise also known as circumcision and uncircumcision. Do you notice when David faced Goliath? That was the classification. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Because as far as God is concerned, and as far as the spirit realm is concerned, there were just two kinds of people on the earth. Circumcised, uncircumcised. Now, circumcision was a mark of covenant. Do you understand that now? Circumcised, uncircumcised, Jews, non-Jews. Did you see that? Now, in Christ, there is no Jew or non-Jew. However, there is still a very major classification on the earth. Saved and unsaved. Can I even tell you, and this is a good news, before God, right now, it's not rich or poor. No. Before God, it's not married or unmarried. No. Before God, it is saved and unsaved. That's the way God classifies people. God doesn't classify people based on, on their social status or their gender. Did you see what I'm saying? God doesn't classify people based on, uh, you know, their, their, their financial capacity or standing. No. God doesn't classify you based on your marital status. Did you see what I'm saying? God classifies you based on saved or unsaved. Believer or unbeliever. 
That's the classification of heaven. And you better take it serious. Huh. That's why he said in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Verse 16 says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Can you see he has already classified it there. Believe and be saved. Don't believe and you're damned. Doomed. Doesn't matter your financial status. There are many poor people who will go to hell just because they didn't believe in Jesus. There's no something as, oh, but children got to have pity on them. They, they've suffered a lot in life. He was broke in life. He shouldn't burn in hell. Well, he's going to burn with his broke self. And those are the dumbest people on earth. How would you suffer on earth and still not accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and go to suffer again in eternity? And let some unsaved rich guy who never received Jesus meet you in hell and still boss you in hell. Like the rich man did to Lazarus or was trying to do to Lazarus. Thank God Lazarus believed in the covenant. He was in Abraham's bosom. Imagine if Lazarus was in hell with that guy. Because the guy is still trying to send him and boss him around from hell. Imagine if Lazarus was in hell with him. He would have said, look, look, look. I don't know what you're going to do, but just sit down. I'm going to sit on your head. <laughs> You know, Dr. Mike Murdoch used to say, he said, one motivation why you don't want to go to hell is because hell is a place where all the idiots in the world will be in one place at a time. <laughs> and eternity. <laughs> so if you want to escape idiotic environments, don't go to hell. <laughs> and the way to escape hell is to believe in Jesus. <laughs> There's only one way. There are no two ways. Only one way, Jesus. Only one life in Jesus. Only one truth, and that's Jesus. <laughs> and we found a way. Oh, I found a way. Glory to God. Do you remember that song? I found a new way of living. I found a new life divine. I've got the fruit of the spirit. I've got the fruit of the spirit. I'm abiding, abiding in the vine. Oh, I'm abiding in the vine. I'm abiding in the vine. Love, joy, health, peace. He has made a mind. I've got prosperity, power, and victory. Abiding, abiding in the vine. Hallelujah. So there's two classifications of people before God, the saved and the unsaved. So when Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, and he said, go uh, and teach all nations. So notice there, the word nations is the Greek word ethnos, and it primarily refers to non-Jewish nations. And that would really mean almost everywhere in the world. Because there's only one Jewish nation, the Israelites, the nation of Israel. And so it means all the other nations in the earth. Did you see that? And this was the blessing God was talking to Abraham about. That in you shall all the nations be blessed. In other words, he's saying in you because, you see, the, the, the father Abraham, did you see that? God preached the gospel to him about Christ. He believed that. And God from his loins, did you see, brought out the nation of Israel from where Jesus came into the earth. Are you getting this now? So when he said in you, he's, he's actually talking about the Christ that will come from the loins of Abraham. From the lineage of Abraham. In his redemptive work. And because that's the blessing. That God will now include us who were once excluded. 
from covenant with him. And I think we should be grateful to God even for the physical aspect of the inclusion. Because they had to be physically circumcised. Otherwise, this morning, man, you know, if you want to get born again and you want to get into this covenant, we'll have some, some, some knives and, and we'll be cutting you, man. And let's not bother talking about what we have to cut in your body. Because you go read the book of Genesis and you read how when God made a covenant with Abraham, God told him to circumcise himself and every male in his house. Abraham, an old man. And at that time, his son was a little boy also. And he had noticed 318 men that could go to war. He circumcised everybody that was a man in his house. That was a bad day. Men were all going to be just tired and crying and wailing. And people would say, what's going on? It's the best thing in our lives have happened to us. We now have a covenant with Jehovah for these people. And that's why sometimes I think angels look at Christians today and say, you're just ungrateful sometimes. And they say, thank God for salvation. I'm sure they look at it and say, go and ask the men in Abraham's house. you got to be grateful you didn't have to do that. You know, because if you, if you go read in the, in the Old Testament, you know, it was not just some light thing. It wasn't. Did you see? But we got it easier. So back in Ephesians 2, we're reading that. Ephesians 2 from verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye been in time past Gentiles in the flesh. So when he says Gentiles in the flesh, he's saying he's talking physically by your physical descent. Do you see who are called on circumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, 12, that at that time, so notice he's referring to that time because this is before Christ. At that time. Can you see this now? That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Can you see this? Because at that time, only the nation of Israel had a covenant with God. The rest of the world did not. So he says, you were strangers. In fact, first of all said, you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers from the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13 says, but now. So notice he's comparing two different moments. At that time and now. So there is that time. There is now. Glory to God. We are not at that time. We are in the now. Did you see this? So he says, but now in Christ. So we are in Christ now. We are not going to be in Christ. We are in Christ right now. It's not going to happen sometime in the future. It's not going to happen when he returns and blazing through the skies. Did you see in the rapture? No. It's happened already right now. I am in Christ right now. So you see why Paul will say, Wherefore, if any man, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, be in Christ. He didn't say, if any man is going to be in Christ. He says, if any man be in Christ, present reality. I'm in Christ now. Now I'm glad to be in Christ. Let me tell you, you look better in Christ than you are outside of Christ. 
you better believe it outside of Christ you're ugly and I'm talking eternally ugly there's not going to be any handsome man in hell neither would there be beautiful women in hell everything's going to burn off burn everything up. Now, I don't mind all those folks who come up with very uh, crazy stories about they went to hell and they saw some woman of God in hell and she's in hell because she she did makeup and and uh, she palmed her hair and that even in hell the palming is still there the makeup is still there. Isn't that stupid? Because even the Bible says the world is going to burn with fervent heat. If the whole world will burn from the fervent heat how much more an ordinary hair? He said, we saw them in hell and they were still wearing that pami. That pami is the reason why they have gone to hell. Even though they preach, pami sent them to hell. Makeup sent them to hell. Their lipstick is why they are in hell. Abba, abatically. Those are just old wives' tales. Those things are not true. So, but now in Christ, you who were sometimes were far off, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. It's by the blood. Somebody say, thank God for the blood. Say it again. Say, I thank God for the blood. In verse 14, he says, for he is our peace, who hath made both one. So the both one is talking about the Jews and the non-Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, and had broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, can you see, containing ordinances, for to making himself of twin one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Did you see this? Yes. And came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. So in other words, by his finished works on the cross of Calvary, even the circumcised ones cannot boast about their circumcision. He now becomes the point at which everybody meets. So he had to preach to those who were afar off and those who were also nigh before. So you see in Romans 4, 16, Paul saying, Wherefore it is by it is of grace that it might be by faith. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only of those who are of the works of the law, but also of those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So in other words, from the point Jesus died and rose from the dead, you don't say you have a covenant with God just because you were circumcised. It doesn't count anymore. What now counts, whether you're a Jew or a non-Jew, is your faith in Jesus. Faith in the blood. Somebody say faith in the blood. Say like him and he say faith in the blood. So understand therefore when he says go preach and teach all nations, that's what it means. Are you hearing this now? That's why he could tell Peter to go to the house of Cornelius as part of obedience to this instruction. So we are sent to people of all races. We're sent to people of all nations, all tribes. No more restrictions to the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation, in other words, therefore is for all. The same Lord over all, Romans 10, 12, is rich unto all that call upon him. And in verse 13, he says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because we are sent to people of all races. In Mark 16, 15, he says, And he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I like the way the Amplifier puts it, because if you look at that in there, King James, he says, Every creature, people might begin to preach to their dogs. I love my dog so much. 
Well, no matter how much you love your dog, your dog was not part of those Jesus died for. Yes, sir. You better be careful the way you're fellowshipping with your dog because you cannot really fellowship with your dog. In fact, most times, the reason why you like your dog is because your dog can't talk back. <laughs> your dog is the only one that can take all your nonsense and still, and still wag its tail at you. That's why you love your dog so much. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? So, salvation is not for animals. Yes, sir. That's the are you hearing what I'm saying now? Jesus did not die for animals. Jesus died for people. So when you look at Mark 16, 15, and it says creature, the word creature there, you understand it better in other translations in Amplified Classic. He says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach and publish openly, look at that, the good news, the gospel, to every creature of the whole human race. Of the whole human race. The Passion Translation puts it this way. He said, I should go into all the world, preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human, human race. Human race. Not animal race. Human race. The gospel is for humans. Now, there are humans. That's those who are demon-possessed. You know, so it's a combination of human and demon. So it's humans. I believe there are no humans here today. Tell them, I say, I'm a human. I told you last week, you know, some folks who are fighting for women, liberation, and stuff like that, you gotta be careful. Otherwise, you can bring you to church and say, why is he human? Why not he woman? You woman. Why do we say amen? Why not our women? Are we singing hymns? Why not shims? Don't take it too far. Somebody hear what I'm saying now. So it is to humans, not animals. So when it says creatures, it's referring to human creatures of God. So we are sent to humans. Sent to humans, male and female, of any and every race under heaven. So did you notice angels are not included in this? You don't preach to angels. You preach to humans. You don't preach to demons. You preach to humans. Men, women, boys, girls. Those are the people we're sent to, regardless of their class in society. Now, where are we sent? We're sent to the world. We're sent to the world. That's why I said, go into all the world. The world here is the Greek word cosmos. And cosmos basically means orderly arrangement. And it basically just means the inhabitants of the world. That's what it means. So when he says going to all the world, he's talking about the orderly arrangements of human society. And it's in that arrangement, he's referring to the inhabitants of those settlements. In other, pla- in other words, every place where humans inhabit. That's what it means by going to all the world. Every place where humans inhabit. If there are people there, then we've got to go there. If there, are, if there are any new continents that the scientists discover, and humans are on that continent, then we've got to go. We're not going to, to the moon to preach because humans don't live in the moon. Otherwise, we'll go there. So we are sent to places where humans inhabit. I'll repeat that again. We are sent to places where humans inhabit. That's the meaning of cosmos. If there are people there, then it is the jurisdiction of the gospel of Christ. 
If there are people there, you know some of my people say, say the cosmos means systems. Well, it's true. It means systems in the sense that it's an orderly arrangement, settlement, where people inhabit and coexist. So it is not the system you are preaching to, it is the people in the system you are preaching to. It makes a world of difference because I'm going to show you this morning what is not the message. All this whole craze about seven mountains is from hell. Because it's a false gospel. Jesus didn't die for an organization or a sector. He died for people. You go into anywhere people are. Not to take over the system, but to bring the people to the knowledge of Christ. One of the greatest distractions in this generation that seems to be walking boldly on the streets, almost unchallenged, is that error of seven mountains. And it looks as though it's such a demonic spirit that is beating many pastors into, 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 into obedience to itself and forcing them to, to, to comply to it. And it's such a distraction. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because it has made many pastors derail completely from the assignment of Christ. Trying to pursue something God didn't ask you to pursue. It's going to get you lost. It's going to get you completely lost. I'm going to show you this morning. Charity is good, but charity is not the mission of the church. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's not the mission of the church. I'm going to show you from the scripture, if God permits me to do that, if I have time to do that this morning. Everywhere the church gave arms to the poor, it was the poor in the church. The poor in the church. I've seen many churches so blessed with finances, and they're trying to help all the poor on the street, but there are many broke people in their assembly that are not getting attention. So it's almost getting to a point, like I said, many ministries have been beaten. Did you see into conformity? That's what I was looking for. Into conformity to the world. They want to be in the good books of society. They want to be in the good books of government. They want to be in the good books of work people. Because truly these days now, if you want to be a celebrated pastor, just begin to do charity all over the place. And people who are on their way to hell begin to applaud you. How do you enjoy the applause of a man who is still bound, hell bound? You don't need his accolade. You need him to receive Jesus. They say, ah, that's the kind of pastor I like. They are helping society. They are helping society. That's the job of your government. That's not my job. I wasn't called to build roads. That's why I didn't go to study civil engineering. If you are a civil engineer, you have a business, build roads and preach the gospel as you do it. That's not the assignment of a pastor. That's not the assignment of a local church. So we're going to fix all the roads that are bad in our community. Okay, so after fixing the road, so everybody that, that, everybody that drives on that road, do automatically just be saved. Is it a wrong thing if the church eventually builds the road? If, if, if after we've done all the things God has sent us to do and there is something left to spare, we'll do it. But we're not going to make that a priority. That's not the priority of the church. Have I finished printing tracts? Have I finished sending missionaries? Have we finished attending to the needs of the members of our church? People who are committed? That I'll not be looking for somebody on the street. He's like a father in his house who is not attending to the school fees of his children, but he's saying he's a nice guy by giving money to strangers. Is that not a foolish man? 
you come to my house and you say you have a need i love you as a pastor but i tell you if your need clashes with the need of my own children i will attend to my children first and i am still the best pastor in the world are you hearing what i'm saying now it's called wisdom the understanding of difference you don't reward people beyond the commitment of the relationship they have in your life not everybody has the same relationship in your life when you marry as a man your wife is more important than your mother you say oh but my mother she sacrificed for me hey mommy because there are many things your mother did for you which you must always appreciate for the rest of your life she has her own place but your wife listen to me because by the normal order of life marks by 30 35 depending on what kind of bachelor you are because <laughs> if you are going to marry make up your mind on time why are you waiting till you are 45 <laughs> now there may be exceptions but whatever is your case but ideally marks 30 35 you get married if you want to marry earlier than that as a man there's nothing wrong with that you want to get married at 25 just make sure you're mature enough you get what I'm saying now? Yeah. And so 25, you're married. 30, you're married. So notice now, Jesus Tyson is coming. You spend 30 years of your life. If I, you should have even left before 30. So let's say you spend the first 25 years of your life with your parents, your mom, your dad. Now, the girl you marry, if Jesus Tyson and God giving you long life, you're going to spend another like 70 years with her. She has more stake in your life than your mother does. It would be foolish of you to place your mother above her. Now, jokingly, I always over the years, when you get married, before you get married, your mother is number one woman in your life. When you get married, she's not number two. Don't be stupid, though. No woman likes woman number two. She's number one B. <laughs> your mommy is not number one. Your wife is number one A. Do you, do you get it now? Yes, uh, Wilson, are you getting the point? Yes, <laughs> Don't go tell your mommy and say, Mom, you are now number one, number two in my life because my wife is number one. You have caused World War Three <laughs> Because your mother will say, so this person has removed me from my place. <laughs> so you just said, Mom, you are number one, no, but B. <laughs> my wife is number one, A. <laughs> because surely there's something your mother did for you that nobody else can do. She carried you in a womb. Okay? Yes, but there's something your wife will do more than once. Depending if you want to have more than one child, you get what I'm saying now. <laughs> She's going to carry your seed. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Your mother cannot. She'll not carry your seed. God forbid. <laughs> not me. <laughs> See, the brother just declared immediately. <laughs> You see what I'm saying now? So you got to understand that. And that's the way a church is. When the church prioritizes charity over missions, preaching the gospel, they prioritize charity to outsiders, the unsaved, over the welfare of their own members. It's like an irresponsible householder who is kind to children on the street, but his own children are suffering in the house. When there was famine in the book of Acts, the early church, prophesied by Agabus and look at the wisdom of God in the early church which is still present in the church today before that famine came by the spirit Agabus the prophet foretold it do you know what the church did you see because every prophecy also comes with the intelligence of the spirit on how to walk in it immediately he gave that prophecy 
Pray to God bless you. And there stood up one of them named, these guys came from Judea, and Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth, and that's famine it means, throughout the whole world, or throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. In other words, he was foretelling of it. What did the church do? Go to the next verse. Then the disciples, every man, according to his ability, determined to send relief unto all the people in Jerusalem or Judea. No. To who? The brethren. Yes. Believers like them. So, so they don't care about the unsaved. We care about the unsaved. Our care for the unsaved is primarily in getting them saved. <laughs> Notice this famine was going to affect all the world. But the church took initiative to take care of our own. The brethren. The brethren. In Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 2, at the early stages of the early church, you notice that they sold all that they had, and the Bible says they all had all things in common. It was within themselves. It was within themselves. That to the point the Bible says nobody had need. Nobody suffered lack. Everybody had enough. Can you imagine that? No one suffered lack. In other words, they, they were not going to just take care of you uh, just so you can get by. No, they, take, they took care of you to the point where you, were, you had sufficiency. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So sometimes all the millions and all the hundreds of millions that some churches are throwing around in the name of charity in society to people who are yet to be saved, if they put that money to use to better the lot of their members, God will be pleased with that. And that's what we have made up our minds to do here. Are you hearing what I am saying? We do it on individual levels. We do it, yeah. And when it's necessary to do it corporately, we do it also. But I'm talking about we're going to make it even mega. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I did something a few, few months ago and just using it as a pilot. And that's even personal now, not even at a church level, just personal mom and I, you know, just give somebody some money, boost your business. Let's see how you do with it in the next three months. You see what I'm saying now? When you do well, you return that money. And the reason why you're going to return the money is not because I want to take the money back from you, but I want that money to be available for somebody else to use also. And I'm just using that to test it. And then when we see how that works well, we're going to make it a bigger thing at the level of the church. That is, we will now use the resources of the church for that. When I say resources, I'm not saying all our church money. We're going to dedicate some resources of the church to now organize it better. And make it run formally. You've got to be a member. Is that, is that, is that not discrimination? Yes, capital yes, discrimination. I, with my full test, I, 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 I accept it. Yeah. Members only. You give our money to somebody we don't know. Who you be, who be you? <laughs> so if you don't understand the way why we structured our membership the way it is. Because you know some people don't understand what membership is in the body of Christ. You see churches today, somebody just comes to your church twice and then you say he's your member. How is your member? You gotta go through process. Yes, sir. Membership is a journey. Yes, sir. It starts with you coming regularly. Regularly. Then you now take Sunday school. That's the way it is here. Yes. Module one, module two, module three. Before you now do membership class. He said, is this serious? Very serious, sir. Because it's a family. Yes, sir. Does anybody join a family anyhow? Mm-hmm. Imagine when you go home tonight now, somebody that came to service today. <laughs> as the first time, as you say, he's following you to your house. He said, I'm going to sleep in your house. After all, we are all brethren. 
just tell him, say, brother, we are brethren, but you know rich like this. You know rich like this. You know if you enter my house. Lie, lie. For somebody to be a member of your family, you need to have spent time to know them well. Yes, sir. That's why you didn't marry the person you married just the first day you saw each other. Can you just see yourself today, first timer, you know, just with each other. How are you? Whoa, I love you to return. <laughs> Let's marry ourselves today. Let's just go now and be husband and wife. What about my things? Forget your things. What about my people? Leave them behind. Follow me. And the two of you will go home and marry like that? God forbid. God for really bid. <laughs> you know, some people don't realize when we have structures as we do in this church, and in case you don't know it, if you're new to this church, you want to get married to somebody in this church, you like somebody, you see somebody you like, you don't just get up and go and start telling them I like you. That's disorderly. I'm just telling you now in this church, that's not the way we do our own things. You see somebody you like, go and pray first. You don't move by your likes. Because that your liking is a feeling. You go and pray first. You come to leadership of the church. I have seen something. No problem. We don't stop you from seeing. <laughs> and then we'll tell you, go pray for the next three months. Because that's what is going to hold your marriage. Conviction, not feelings. Is somebody hearing what I am saying? Conviction is what holds relationships. So you're going to pray for the next three months and you're going to wait on God. And the reason is so you can pray and be sure before you make any move. So you don't go disturbing an innocent lady. Because some people will say, I like you today and next tomorrow they don't like you again. So we'll tell you to pray. Like midway into your prayer, we'll give an opportunity. Go tell that lady of your intention so that she will, will know whether you should continue praying or you should stop praying so you don't waste your time. Because what's the point? You praying over somebody who doesn't care about you and you will not come with thousands the Lord and coerce a girl to marry you. No, there's no such thing. Even if you heard God audibly and the lady said, I know do. You and your whatever you heard, you continue with your life. <laughs> You know, one of our daughters in one of our centers recently told mom and said, the fellow came and said he wants to marry her and, and, uh, and all of that. And she told him and said, now nah, church, we've got to pray three months first. And the guy said, it's unnecessary. I said, he's an idiot. <laughs> Just tell him to miss you now and be on his way. To go and look for another idiot like himself. Wow. And when you see a person responding like that, that is already a, a, not a red flag. It's a red environment. <laughs> And when mom told me that, I said, that's exactly what why Paul said. It. He said, the law is not made for the righteous. It's made for the lawless. In other words, the law is made to edge them out. It will cut him off already. So that in itself is already a safety for that lady. Without having to go through the hassle of it, that boundaries, that structure, already lets her know this one is not for you. That's the purpose of the structure. That's the truth. Even if he claims and he wants to pretend, in the course of that prayer, if you do it well, God will expose him. That's the essence of these things. And that's why you must understand, it is what is precious that they protect. If people meet you cheaply, they will treat you cheaply. You say, people, no, no boundaries. And that's the way the world is going right now. So what's the point? If you like somebody, just say it. And let's just get on with each other and let's just live our life. Well, nobody said you cannot live your life. It's just that you live a nonsense life. A life beneath what God has for you. I don't know about you, but I want what God wants for me. Nothing less. Nothing less. Woo. 
glory. Someone say, I love the word of God. You know, I'm, are you blessed this morning? So we're sent to creatures, humans. So what is the message he gave us to preach? And that's what we're looking into this morning in the next couple of minutes. And he said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what he sent us to preach, the gospel. In verse 20, the Bible says, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord walking with them and confirming the word with signs following. So what they preached was the word. In Luke 24, 47, when Jesus rose from the dead, he said to his disciples, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. Notice that name again. In his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Can you see this? And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 and 19, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 says, To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word or the message of reconciliation. That's what he gave us to preach. The message of reconciliation. The apostles preached this message of Christ. In Acts 4.29, Peter is speaking and he says, And now, Lord, sorry, the disciples were praying, And now, Lord, behold your threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Thy word, not their own word. Thy word. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness they spake the word of God not their own philosophy they didn't speak secular humanism they spake the word of God we are called to preach the word of God the word of God is the word concerning Christ can you see this? It is by that word of God that faith cometh. Romans 10, 17. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Which word of God? The word about Christ. The word about Christ. That's what they preached. Verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. So notice, he, he lets us know what word they preached. He says, they preached and testified about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That is the word of God. Yes, the message about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. That is the word of God that they preached. They testified about it. That's what he said in Acts 1, 8. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and Judea. And to the uttermost parts of the earth. So in Acts 4, 33. He says, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Because he said, you shall be witnesses of me. Witnesses of me about what? What about me? Is it about his clothes, his hair, his makeup, his perfume? No. His sandals? No. His profession as a carpenter? No. Witness of me it, with respect to his resurrection. We witness to his resurrection. Can you see this? And that's what they did here in Acts 4.33. 
apostle Peter did the same. Acts chapter 2 verse 22 to 24. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. He's preaching Jesus Christ to them. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So he's preaching the gospel. Whom God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should beholding of it. So notice in these verses, Peter has already preached the gospel. He spoke of how they killed Jesus, crucified him, and how God raised him back to life. That is the gospel. Peter preached it under the Pentecost. Acts 2. I just quoted to you. In Acts 4.12, Peter said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Did you see that? That's Peter's preaching. In Acts 8, Philip in Samaria. Acts 8 from verse 5 to 8. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. But notice verse, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ. Preached Christ. Didn't preach his own idea. Preached Christ. Verse 7. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Wherever Christ is preached, the captains are set free. Wherever Christ is preached, the sick are healed. Wherever Christ is preached, there is great joy in that city. Glory to God. Great joy. Great joy. Not just joy. Great joy. Hallelujah. Because it is good news. It's not sad news. It's good news. So there was joy in that city. Because Christ was preached. With the attending signs and wonders. Thank you Lord Jesus. In every city we go to, that's what's going to happen. Unclean spirits are going to cry out of people. The sick are going to be healed. Those who are sick with palsies, that is the lame. They'll be made whole. Amen. Blind eyes opening, deaf ears opening, all kinds of sicknesses cured. Amen. The name of Jesus making men perfectly whole, Amen. giving them perfect soundness in their bodies, perfect soundness in their minds, Amen. and causing great joy in the city. Woo! Ha ha! Glory! Ha ha! Woo! I like the sound of that. Great joy. Woo, great joy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, in the same Acts chapter 8, we're going to see how the Bible tells us in verse 14. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Notice, they heard that Samaria had received the word of God. I, again, you see when Jesus said, go into all the world, you will now see that he's referring to the people. Because now, we notice 
in Samaria that Paul, I mean, Philip had preached the gospel to the people. The people had believed. But when it was being reported in verse 14, he said, when they at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Now, does that mean that everybody in Samaria has received the word of God? Or does that mean that Samaria as a place got saved? No. He's referring to the people who got saved in Samaria. Are you getting it now? That's the same way he says cosmos. He's not saying, for example, maybe your company. What's the name of your company? Life, life, life force. That's it. You see that? You can imagine Taiwo gets his staff saved. And then someone else comes and says, life force as a business is a born again entity. No, it's not. It's not a born again entity. It's a profit making entity. So when we say stuff like because he has preached to all the people, all the, all the people on his staff, and they received Jesus, we can we can now refer and say that life force has received the gospel. And you should know what we mean by that statement is that the people there. Are you getting that now? So in other words, if I go to London to preach in London, you see what I'm saying now? I'm not preaching on the street of London and I'm looking at all the buildings and, and I go to Buckingham Palace and I say, you Buckingham Palace, receive Jesus so that you don't go to hell. That would be crazy. All right. So to go to London and take the gospel to London would mean taking the gospel to the people in London, the inhabitants. Is, it, is this getting clear to you now? So we see that Philip had preached to the people in Samaria, and when it was reported, the Bible says they heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Because the people there received the word of God. Nigeria as a place cannot receive the gospel. It is the people in Nigeria that receive the gospel. By one place in the book of Acts, the Bible says they filled the entire Jerusalem with their doctrine. What does that mean again? Does it mean they were just pasting Bible all over the walls? No, it means they were getting the word into people. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. People. Are you getting this? So we see Philip preaching the word of God. Apostle Paul did the same. Hallelujah. If I sorry, let's just stay with Philip here. In verse 35, actually, when Philip was with the Ethiopian eunuch, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, and that scripture is Isaiah 53, and preached unto him, that is the Ethiopian eunuch, Christ, or Jesus rather. He preached unto him Jesus. So what did Philip preach in Samaria? He preached Christ. What did he preach to the Ethiopian eunuch? The same Jesus Christ. So whether he was speaking to a crowd or speaking to one man, it's the same message. Yes, we have one message. Christ is our message to the world. One message. Philip preached it. Paul also preached it, of course. In Acts chapter 9, verse 18 to 20. And immediately there fell from his eyes, as it had been. I told you earlier on, when he got born again, he began to preach. The Bible says that it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith, and arose, and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues. That he is the son of God. He preached Christ. Verse 22, Acts 9. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. From the get-go. In 1 Corinthians 2, from verse 1 to 2. And I, brethren, this is Paul speaking. 
when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, this is all I preach to you. Christ. Christ. Let me tell you, when Jesus himself rose from the dead, he didn't preach anything else except himself. In Luke 24, 25, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, said to those two disciples, Oh, fool, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ordered Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Even Jesus rose from the dead and preached himself. In other words, Jesus rose from the dead and preached Christ. <laughs> Can you see that? He himself rose from the dead and preached Christ. If the head of the church preached Christ, who are you not to preach Christ? That's the only message. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's called the doctrines of Christ. Are you getting me now? The things pertaining to him. The things that are of him. In his finished works. And the attendant benefits and implications of that redemptive work. That's all we preach. If anything we preach contradicts that, it is false. Oh now, come on, is somebody hearing this? So Paul preached. In Romans 15, 19, Paul said, Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. In verse 20, he said, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. So Paul preached Christ. So what is this message about Christ? First of all, understand there is only one message. Ephesians chapter 4, from the 4th to the 6th verse, he says, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. Verse 5, one Lord, and then guess what? He says, one faith, one baptism. Faith here is not used in the terms of the faith for things. Faith here is used in context of message. I told you the word faith sometimes is used to refer to the message. When Paul says, I fought the good fight of faith, or when he says, fight the good fight of faith, lay it upon eternal life, he's talking about fight the good fight concerning the message of Christ. When Jude uh, wrote and said to contend for the faith, contend earnestly actually, did you see for the faith, he's referring to the message. So there is faith as the message. In fact, sometimes they also use the word faith to refer to the Christian. Did you see life? So they said they became obedient to the faith. Paul used that in Romans 1.5. He said, of whom we've also received apostleship and obedience for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So when he says obedience to the faith, he's talking about obedience to the message and the Christian faith. Do you understand that? So here when he says one Lord, one faith, can you see Ephesians 4, 5? One baptism, one God, verse 6, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So it's referring to the fact that there's one message. There are no two messages. There's just one message. Someone say one message. In Galatians, the first chapter, we read from verse 6 to 9. I marvel, Paul said, that ye are soon, so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. The Greek word here, there is a play of words here. 
because we're going to read in the next verse he's going to use the word another again now in the greek originals that you see the word another in this text doesn't mean the same thing in the first verse here verse six here when he says another gospel he uses the greek word eteros and eteros actually means different in fact opposing and then when he now in the next verse says though there be no other gospel he uses the greek word alos now the word alos let's get back in the text similar to the word is the same word jesus used when he said i'll send you another comforter that he might abide with you now he used the greek word for another there alos which actually means another of the same kind you get it now that a different person is coming but this different person is exactly like me in other words it's not me but he's like me is the same as me that's why he went on to say that when the spirit of truth comes he shall guide you to all truth he shall not speak of himself he will take what is of mine and reveal it to you in other words he's going to say the same thing i said you know when i was with you he's going to do the same thing i did when i was with you he will comfort you like i comforted you will answer your questions like i answered your questions in fact it will bring you into more detail of the same things that i shared with you is another of the same kind is not opposing are you getting what i'm saying now you know what he's coming he's coming to represent me to you hallelujah so somebody say alos alos is spelled as a double l o s alos so here when paul said i marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of christ unto another he used the word heteros different opposing gospel which is not another but there be some that trouble you paul said so when he says which is not another he used this another now in the next verse is alus that is which is not the same are you getting that which is not the same gospel did you see that now he says and he goes on to say uh but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of christ but though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you let him be accursed did you see that condemned and he says as we said before so say i now again if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received let him be accursed i'll read to you the amplified classic from verse 6 i am surprised and astonished that you are so quickly turning renegade and deserting him ask your neighbor do you know the meaning of renegade you don't know it that's why you're not able to ask your neighbor so forget about it renegade just use it carefully when you leave church don't go to work tomorrow and see your your boss at work and say how are you renegade you're gonna lose your job i assure you if you do that so he says turning renegade and deserting him who invited and called you by the grace on merit and favor i know the word renegade is a negative word i've not bothered to check the meaning exactly so somebody can help you know who studied english here i put you to test who you're pointing somebody it also means deserting no now tell us the real meaning now english graduates let's let's see whether we can benefit refresh our bowels with your degree without checking dictionary i mean any person that studied english 
A traitor. You, you already checked it in the dictionary. You tried. A traitor. Good. A rebel. Outlaw. Enough. 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 Thank you. So now we all know the meaning of renegade. So Paul says, I am surprised and astonished that you are so quickly turning renegade. So we now know that that means turning rebellious. Huh? Traitor. Disloyal. Betrayer. Good. So you understand that now? Good. I just don't like ignorance at all. So... And deserting him who invited and called you by the grace and merit and favor of Christ the Messiah. And that you are transferring your allegiance to a different, even an opposition gospel. And that's the meaning of that heteros. Another opposition gospel. A different one. So the issue is not just that it is different. It is an opposition. In other words, false doctrine is an opposition to the real doctrine. In other words, there is nothing harmless about false doctrine. Come on now, is somebody hear what I'm saying? False doctrine is harmful. Paul calls them unwholesome words as opposed to soundness, which is a matter of health. It's like eating poison. Is there any harm in just the fact that your food is stale? Oh, really? They're going to be toileting for the rest of the week if that's what you, you're going to do. It's harmful. That's false doctrine for you. False doctrine is harmful. And he says in verse 7, Not that there is or could be any other genuine gospel. Do you see that? But there are obviously some who are troubling and disturbing and bewildering you with a different kind of teaching which they offer as a gospel and want to pervade and distort the gospel of Christ the Messiah into something which is absolutely is not. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to and different from that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. And he tells us the meaning of a curse, anathema. That's a Greek word to use. And then he says, devoted to destruction, doomed to eternal punishment. Condemned. It's condemnation. Verse 9. As we said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel different from or contrary to, did you see that? That which you received from us, let him be accursed, anathema, devoted to destruction, doomed to eternal punishment. That's the way you treat it. Because he's trying to establish the fact there is just one. No variations. Someone say one gospel. one gospel. Say boldly. Say one gospel. One gospel. Say it again. Say one gospel. one gospel. In Acts chapter 20, Paul warns against preachers of such false messages. As we begin to close this morning. In Acts 20, from verse 29 to 31. For I know this, that after my departing, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples. After them, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. In other words, it's heartbreaking. Can you see that? I'll never forget my first year in the university. And one of the uh, old students came who was a leader uh, in that fellowship when he was in school. And I'll never forget, he told us he graduated about 37 years prior. 
and at this time of course an old man high in society and he made a statement i'll never forget and he said it is sad today that there were brothers that we proclaim christ together as students on campus that are already right now professed ogoni cultists it really does happen i hear what i'm saying now but that's not going to be a lot and that's why it's truly heartbreaking when you see such things in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 to 15 Paul says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby the lying wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ so notice Paul says that those were lying in wait to deceive can you see that but as opposed to them, he says we've got to keep speaking the truth in love. And by that, we grow up unto him, Jesus, in all things, which is the head, even Christ. But there are those lying in wait to deceive. And he says the antidote is for you to mature spiritually. In other words, if you fail to grow up spiritually, you become an endangered species. That can be easily deceived. And aren't people deceived in these days? So deceived, I tell you. So deceived, I tell you. Pitifully deceived. I look at the ignorance of people these days and I'm like, what? How stupid can you be and still breathe? And people fall for all kinds of crazy stuff. Just because they're ignorant. In other words, your ignorance of the word of God will cost you. So don't think it's just some, you know, you're just living your life. You don't have time for church. You don't want to go to church. You don't like to sit down to hear the word of God. You prefer a church where they just do everything very sharp. Nothing is taught. Not, no depth. No substance. And you think you're getting by. No, you're not. You are being roasted. And the devil is about to come to you and he's going to wipe you out. Especially in these last days. And as the warning Paul says that we ask for be no more children tossed to and fro. Do you see that? By every wheel of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness. Give it to me in the Amplified uh, Translation. The slight of men, cunning craftiness is all over the place. Deceiving old houses, families, put in bondage by false prophets. They are so bold in these days that we live in. The boldness is annoying. Are you hearing me? It's crazy. Things people say boldly and say it on television. And I'll tell you that's the reason why I hardly watch Christian television anymore. Hardly. When I was on TBN, I only watched myself. And a few others. So it's not, I'm not saying I'm the only good teacher. A very few others. I have to stay up late sometimes to watch the few others that I can watch. But I tell you, 75 to 80 percent junk. I mean, when TBN reached out to me last year and said, We want you to come back, come back, come back, come back. So we need your content. Because they know themselves. That's because they have to keep the company running. So you have to take the money from all, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry. Tell you crazy stuff people say on TV. So I'd rather watch Animal Planet. <laughs> so I don't want to be criticizing people. Like I sit in my house and pay subscription every month to watch an idiot talking stupid things and saying it so boldly. Rubbish. I just watch National Geographic. 
Because if the fish doesn't swim the way she swim and I criticize it, God will not be angry with me. I said, what kind of yama yama fish is this one? And I tell you, you got to be careful who you listen to. People say damnable things. You know what I'm saying? In the book of James, like what, what James wrote in that place, it should not be in the Bible. What? So it's your own book that you used to replace it. Just say you don't know Bible. You say they should remove what James wrote there. You've not studied the text well. You say it doesn't make sense. You go sit down, study it well. You will see the sense in what you were saying. You see quacks all over the place. But the quacks is not my problem. The false prophets are not my own problem. My problem is with the ignorant Christian, the negligent Christian, the lazy Christian who does not want to sit down and be taught God's word. Christ has set you free. If you don't pay the price of discipline to sit down in a good church where the word is well taught and the word cannot be well taught in a jiffy. So I've been in Lagos for just about five to six years. And I've seen all kinds of crazy things people do. I grew up in the city of Lagos, so don't think I'm a Johnny's just come. But I was outside Lagos for 16 years. Came back five years ago, started this church. And a lot of people were probably thinking, the way you teach long, your church will not grow. <laughs> what is growing now? <laughs> and I'm never going to compromise for nobody. I said to people, you don't do the church no favor by coming to church. No. I'm doing you a favor by teaching you God's word. So you go to church. That crazy Christian mentality of these last days. See Christians going to church as though they are doing their church a favor. Does, does your car do the engineer that services it a favor by going for servicing? When you carry your car to, to your car to the mechanic workshop for servicing, is, are you doing the engineer a favor? No, now you bring, if you don't want the engine to knock. So if you don't want your engine to knock spiritually, let that be in church. <laughs> You should rather complain when your pastor is not teaching you well. Yes, Let's come up and say, I just have 20 minutes to share the word of God. You say, like, yes, sir. You say, not here, sir. Yes, not here, sir. You say, now here we go, day, sir. Continue the message. We are not going anywhere. Yes. And that's what you got to understand. Paul is saying, if that doesn't happen, you will be a victim yes, of the slights of men. Amplify says, so then we may no longer be children tossed like sheep, tore and fro between chance gusts of teaching. My God. And wavering with every changing wind of doctrine. The prey of the cunning and cleverness of unscrupulous men. Gamblers, oh Jesus. Engaged in every shifting form of trickery. In inventing errors to mislead. And I tell you, if you will not be a victim of this, it's not a prayer point. Just grow. Yes, so you don't just go and be praying, Lord, I will not be a victim. Oh, Lord, I will not. If they blow me, I will not blow. I will not blow. I will not blow, Lord. There's no need to pray. Or God said, they say, grow up. When you grow up, that's all. Even on the campus those days as a, as a student, we saw a few of them. And I tell you, I, I knew brothers who were in the fellowship together who were deceived by some folks. Thank God that we were around them to yank them off. I know a brother that were in the same fellowship, somebody I knew very well, a guy, a false prophet on campus in Ife, told them to go and be planting some plants for their angels to have more stamina. I'm telling you stupid things. The brother went and did it. <laughs> At another time, one came and said, if you are eating granite, that granite has a spiritual implication. 
People began to buy granules. You are laughing, but if you are not growing spiritually, if they will, I mean, by the time they do, you would have finished doing some things before you. So you gotta grow. So your spiritual growth not only nourishes you, it's a protection for you. And that's why Apostle Paul had to warn. In 1 Timothy 6, 3-5, he said, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud. Not knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words. Whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Is that not what has invaded this generation right now? People measure ministers and ministries based on their financial ability. They suppose gain is godliness. People even receive a message based on the financial standing of the person saying it, on the social standing of the person saying it. What, 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 what a disaster. What a disaster. Are you hear what I'm saying? Are people not getting leadership positions in churches today because they have money? Yes, it's happening. Yes, sir. Just because the guy is a rich guy, they're going to make him a leader. They're going to make him a pastor. They're anointing devils. Giving dickenship to a person who has no relationship with God just because he has money. Crazy stuff. Paul says to withdraw from people like that. Run away from such things. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You see, pastors who can easily be harassed by money. Just because somebody is very rich, so the person can harass you. And you are compelled to make him a leader. Because he doesn't like to be in a place except he's part of the leadership. There are crazy people like that. If he's not a leader in a place, he doesn't want to be there. That's a demonic spirit. That's a very demonic spirit. It's the difference between organic and functional relationships. There are too many functional relationships in the body of Christ. No organic relationships in most places. It's the difference between the relationship between your hand and your body and the relationship between your suit and your body. You can remove this suit and wear another one. You can't remove this hand and put another one. In fact, you can wear his suit if he gives you. But you cannot take his hand now and have that to say, tomorrow Monday is this is, 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 uh, is, uh, uh, is a uh, uh, hand that I want to use this week. <laughs> Once you remove your own hand like this, just so that you are harmless. <laughs> <laughs> There's a difference. And every life in your body, this your hand is enjoying it just because it's connected to it. Your suit does not enjoy the life in your spirit. It cannot. Your suit only plays a functional role to cover your body. Your hand is playing an organic role. The believer is supposed to be an organic member of a local church. Not, a, not just a functional. And the good thing is that if you are organic, you will automatically function. There are things your hand does by reflex. Because it's connected. So in most parts of the body of Christ, the people are trying to use suits to do the work that only hand can do. So it's just an arrangement that heaven is surprised by. 
so people have to be using all kinds of methods of the flesh and of the world to now try to do the work of God. So churches are being pastored by business principles. Crazy idea. Not in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. It's not a democracy. God does not rule by votes. He rules by his voice. You know, I said, this is all of us want. No, it's not all of us want. It's what the Lord wants. Hey, is somebody hearing what I am saying? Seriously, people want to be members of a church. It's easier to have a preacher than to have a pastor. So a lot of Christians have favorite preachers. They have no pastor. Because you are not obliged to do what the preacher says. But the pastor doesn't just teach you. A pastor. To be pastored means you are monitored. That's the word. There's no sugarcoat in it. Now, if I don't see you in church, I'm going to ask, where were you? That's a pastor's job. Don't just have a preacher over your life. A preacher can cover you. A preacher can just give you information. A pastor watches for your soul. Hebrews 13, 7, Hebrews 13, 17. Watch for your soul. As those that must give account. If I'm going to watch for your soul, it means I'm going to query you. What's going on? No matter how old you are. You don't say, ah, a grown adult like me. Yes, but you're a baby in Christ. Now, I don't mean the pastor rules your life, controls your life. No, but he holds you accountable. Because you're a disciple. That's the reason why a lot of people, their life is anyhow. No accountability. No submission to nobody. Say, I want to be free. It's my life. I'll do whatever I want. Don't be a dummy. It's not your life if you're born again. He bought you with a price. So get off your eyes and stop being proud. Say, it's my life. It's not your life. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. So he placed you under shepherds to watch you by the Holy Ghost. And when you reject that leadership over your life, it is Christ you rejected over your life. And you'll be on your own. When the devil comes after you, you've got to muster your own strength to, re- to resist him by yourself. You also understand we don't resist the devil in our power. We resist the devil by our submission to the authority of God. Somebody hear what I'm saying right now? It's the reason why a lot of people are dying anyhow like flies all over the place. Suffering a saint, suffering sinner's problem all over the place. Because when God looks at you in the realm of the spirit, you are a lawless person. Lawless spirit, no covering. You see what I'm saying? You are not in your place. You've wandered from your place. Just doing life anyhow. Wake up, do whatever you want to do. Alright? And then for the next 10 years, you are battling with the consequences of a foolish decision that you could have avoided if you are stayed in the right place and got counsel. Bible says in the multitude of counsel, there's, there's safety. The nature of sheep, sheep cannot live in isolation. They live in a flock. And it is never a flock except there's a shepherd there. Simple things. Yet, elusive to many. By rebellious choices. And like Paul said, they run renegade. Renegade. One of the greatest blessings that can happen to you in your life is to be well pastored. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Tell you that. It's to be well pastored. You're going to give it to kids. Your kids are going to grow up. Let me tell you, even I, as a pastor that I am, my kids are going to get to points in their life. I will not pastor them myself. They're going to have their own pastor at every stage in their life. Kids' church, teens' church, they must have their own pastor. And my job and mom's job at home is to teach our children to obey their own pastors. That's how to raise good children. That's why we can't allow you to put your child by your side in service. There's no need for that. No. 
as you are being pastored, let your child also be under their own pastor. So when they say everybody stand up and sing, they should stand up and sing. They give them assignment, do this craft, do the craft. So that you don't enter into witchcraft. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Yes, sir. You tell your children to pray, let them pray. Whatever they tell them in their own church, let them do it. Yes, sir. That way you are making them stay on the path of their own Christian journey. And they are growing. But how will they follow that path if you are not following your own path? You want, to, you, want your, you want your children to be pastored and follow God. You yourself, you are not following God. You are not being pastored. You now say they are not obedient at all. Why should they obey you? You that you are not obedient to anybody. So how do you want your children to be obedient to you? When you, they should, they, see, they don't need to ask you. They can see it. Mm. On Sunday morning, you wake up, you're lying down there. And they say how you tell lies like a demon. <laughs> When your teammate now comes and says, why did you not see? Say, ah, we traveled. And your child is wondering, ah, where are we? Are we not? <laughs> and that's why they will never believe you if you do that. You don't tell lies in front of your children. Not as you tell lies at all. They come to check you on, on follow-up, visitation. They say, tell them, I'm, tell them I'm not at home. Tell them I'm asleep. If I, yeah, I, 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 we are not at home. <laughs> but I can assure you, you are going to live with what you raised. Whether good or bad, it's going to come at you. It's going to come at you. The ways of God are peaceful. Just stay with it. Stay with it. There are certain issues that comes up in marriages. I tell you, if you have no pastor in your life that knows his job well, you may never recover from it. I'm telling you, issues will come. Because your two adults growing together, trying to blend your life together. Living and walking through this life. Situations arise that you can't resolve by yourself. There has to be that unifying factor, which is God, but he is represented physically by the local church belong to a local church if you really want to have a great future. Is somebody hear what I'm saying today? Time is up now. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Because I thought I was going to address this seven mountains error today. It's usually from Micah. So I'm going to close with that. So Micah 2, Micah 4, I beg your pardon, and Isaiah chapter 2. And I'll just read that to you. Uh, because those are the two scriptures they use. Those two scriptures actually are very identical because they say exactly the same thing. You know, almost. If at all any difference, just some little variation. And so notice here in Micah chapter 4, or let's read from Isaiah first, and Isaiah chapter 2, and uh, we close with this. And so Isaiah says in verse 1, the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. Do you see this? And many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in the paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Did you notice he just said, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be exalted above all the mountains. Did he say seven mountains? Come on, talk to me. Did he mention seven mountains? 
He just said what? Mountains. All the mountains. He didn't say seven. He never said seven. Now, the word nations here in the Hebrew actually is referring again to the heathen nations, the Gentile nations. So it says, and the nations shall flow into it. The heathen, the Gentiles shall flow into it. And the implication of this again is salvation of the ends of the earth. So he never says seven. It is an invention. And people say the mountains of influence. It is not in the Bible. There is nowhere the Bible says that. Are you seeing this? Go to, go to Micah chapter 4. We'll probably begin from there next Sunday. Thank you, Lord. You know, if the devil cannot stop you from doing what God told you to do, he will give you a substitute, an alternative. Better still. But in the last days, Micah 4, verse 1, it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people, look at that, shall flow unto it, and many nations, and the word nations is the same thing, shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations, and again the word nations is the same Hebrew word. Gentiles, heathen, did you see this? Afar off. Can you see that again from what we read in Ephesians 2? The nations are far off. And it's because he's going to bring them near, they will come. And they shall beat their swords and into plowshares and, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it again. You can see it here. This is a prophetic word about the redemptive work of Christ. Because you will see the way mountains is used in the Old Testament prophecies concerning the redemptive work of Christ. You see in Obadiah also. Upon Mount Zion there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness and the house of Jacob shall possess their possession and Savior shall arise that shall judge the Mount of Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. It's salvation for goodness sake. There is nothing like seven mountains there. How people conveniently invent these things and their conscience doesn't prick them. I'm amazed. The many churches today, they entered into this era and from that point, the trajectory changed and people are getting lost. The sense of the ministry of the Lord Jesus being lost. They are becoming more secular than spiritual. That's a major danger in that. You start getting more secular than spiritual. You start chasing the things of this world at the expense of the great commission of Christ. You cannot actually follow that seven mountain agenda and still be passionate about preaching the gospel. Never. I have not seen. Show me one person. I haven't seen them. They will never talk about soul winning again. Never. Because they're now consumed by it. It begins to control their every decision in life. The opportunities they take. Because now it's, now, it's actually the exaltation of self and ambition. So that I must rise to the top of my career at whatever cost. And they are being deceived with this funny thing like, I'm doing it for the sake of the kingdom. Which one? I'm going to rise to it. So they begin to make decisions driven by personal ambition. And most of these people ask them, they don't even know how to simply lead somebody to Christ. They don't know. If they knew before, they've forgotten it. 
then you see things like the ministry of the holy ghost the gifts of the spirit becomes becomes relegated to the background so they don't speak in tongues again in their services no manifestations of the spirit again and how do you want to ever be an effective witness of christ without emphasis on the charismatic gifts it's not possible it's not possible because it is the fact that you are a Christian first who works in a bank. Not that you are a banker that is a Christian. No. You are a believer who is now working in whatever profession where you work. And that orientation will never place your career ahead. No, it will place the gospel ahead. It cannot be about us and him at the same time. It's either about him or about us. And God forbid that it will ever be about us all about Christ only. That's why Paul said, I preach, I knew nothing. I was determined, First Corinthians 2, to, to know nothing amongst you except Christ and Him crucified. So let's lift our hands and worship Him today and say thank you Lord Jesus. Oh, we give you praise Lord God. Thank you Father. Thank you Jesus. We praise your name Lord God. You've been listening to the teaching of God's Word. Brought to you by God's Heritage of Faith Church. Our mission is raising stronger believers. For more information about our church or to get more of our life transforming resources, visit our website at www.hofng.org. God bless you.